Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Roker Report Dan Neal Appreciation Podcast in association with Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. My name's Rich Spate. I've got a very hoarse voice this morning after singing my heart out for the lads at the stadium like yesterday and then having a few pints and a curry after. Uh, but we're all well this morning um, and I'm very lucky to be joined down the line um, as ever from Australia by Martin Wanless. How are you this morning, Martin? It looks cold in Australia. It's chilly today. It's um, it's been raining. It's I think it's been about eight degrees at some point today. So it's um, yeah, in the, in the last last bits of winter before spring start over here. But no, I'm very good. Good to see the lads wow. come through. What was probably our toughest test of the, the season so far, wasn't it? Oh yeah, I mean it was a tough test. It was also Australian conditions out there. It must have been <laughs> about twenty five in the stadium where I was sat in the east stand. Everyone was sweating and. Uh, and everyone was really up for it as well. And we're also delighted to be joined um, this morning by Sunderland AFC legend, Kieran Brady. Good morning, Kieran. How are you? Good morning, Rich. But that word is your word. I certainly would never categorise <laughs> myself as that. But for people of um, mine and Martin's vintage, you certainly oh, are. Well, you definitely you. qualify as yeah. that. Um, You're outvoted, Kieran. Sorry. All right. Democracy wins the day. <laughs> Great. So, a fantastic victory for Sunderland yesterday, 3-1 at the Stadium of Light over Wickham Wanderers. It was a brilliant day in the sunshine, a fantastic atmosphere. The Stadium of Light was absolutely buzzing before, during and after the match. And the players gave a kind of a performance to match. Um, Just quickly go through what happened in the game. Um, After Wickham started pretty quickly, Sunderland put their foot on the ball. And straight away kind of got control of the game. And, and Ross Stewart grabbed a great opener with his head from a, a lovely uh, clip cross from Elliot Embleton from just in front of me. And then a couple of minutes later, again in front of me, Elliot Embleton cuts inside after he combined with Gooch from Winchester throw-in. Um, curls one into the far corner, which was an absolute beaut. Um, we kept control of the game. Really beautiful passing. And then uh, rounded off our scoring uh, as Dan Neal broke away in the second half, uh, threaded the ball to his left to Ross Stewart, who put a lovely, neat finish in. Um, they grabbed a consolation through a, a bit of a fluky deflected goal right towards the end. But um, all, all in all, a brilliant performance. Martin, you were following the stream like many of our international fans. Uh, just how good was uh, yesterday from, from your perspective? I think... When you get to the end of the game, it was obviously a very good performance and a very good three points, wasn't it? 
I think mm. it was a it's actually a really interesting game to watch because as I say, Wickham started off really well. And you know, I was listening to the the podcast that Chris did with um called Phil Catchpole from Wickham's End on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And he, he was of the opinion if like, Wickham would go out and try to get that early goal. And if they got the early goal in the first 10 or 15 minutes, it would start time-wasting, they would sit behind the ball and just try to defend it. And whether we were really conscious of Wickham trying to you know, start quickly and do that, because we seemed to be a little bit standoffish for the first 10 minutes. They had an awful lot of possession. They were obviously targeting our right-hand side. And the, the goal that we got, the first goal, came against the run of play a little bit, didn't it? It came as a bit of a surprise, but it was a fantastically well-taken goal. And um, I think post-match, Gareth Ainsworth had sort of talked about our, our ruthlessness in front mm-hmm. of goal. And obviously that was evident yesterday and it was missing against Burton, which was probably our, our best performance of the season so far. So it was, you know, come at the end of 90 minutes, it should have been 4-0. Yeah. Like we should have had a penalty. And if we got that penalty, they wouldn't have scored the um, the goal that did. And, you know, hopefully that plus two goal difference doesn't come back to play a part later on in the season. But really... As I say, it should have been 4 0 at the end of 90 minutes, and that's a very, very convincing 3 1's a very convincing win against a team who's mm-hmm. you know favourites for promotion, favourites to finish in the top six at least, and were unlucky to get relegated from the championship last season. It really was a good performance. I know, Kieran, that you were um, uh, delighted to be at St James's Park yesterday, so you I couldn't will, watch I, the game I think live. I'll, can we reframe that as otherwise engaged? <laughs> You're otherwise engaged watching Newcastle um, sadly lose their lead uh, in the final seconds uh, of their match, which I enjoyed after I got back from the pub match of the day last night. You've obviously seen Sunderland play this season. What do you make of how Lee Johnson has Sunderland playing overall? I mean, I'm a massive fan of this new philosophy if it means that kind of a, like exciting attacking passing game that we've seen over the last few weeks. What, what do you make of it? Well, I think first and foremost, the fact that it's managed to produce 12 points from 15 is the primary success within it. Um, you know, there's obviously been decisions taken behind the scenes at the club to try to incorporate youth much, much more. That's meant, of course, the promotion of players from within the club as well as the acquisition of players from elsewhere. So to that end, it's a courageous step and it's reaping dividends so far. My only concern would be that as the season goes on, it's very difficult to guarantee consistency from young players, both individually, but I think when you consider how many younger players could feature at any one time, there's always that concern. But nevertheless... At the moment, they're providing that youthful energy. It's been more, you know, it's been very complemented by what they're receiving from elsewhere around from the more experienced or senior players. So the signs are promising. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I watched I watched the, several of the games, including some of the away games. And, you know, in another day, they might be sitting here now with 15 points from 15 um, you know, you also have to factor in maybe that, um, you know, there was a deflected goal that won the game against AFC Wimbledon. There was question marks around the penalty against Wigan, although I thought Sunderland were fully deserving of the three points. But all things considered, I think if you're a football fan and you can watch both winning football in the main allied with football that is a very prominent entertainment value to it, what's to complain about? You know, and I think that at times over the course of Sunderland's time in League One, 
there has been one, but not necessarily the other, on a consistent basis. Yeah. But we're at the beginning of a new season. We're five games in. I think there's already very evident shortcomings in some of the other promotion contenders. So even if Sunderland do have to get through a period where they don't win four games from five, I think it's highly unlikely that any of the others will be able to capitalise that in a way that might allow them to to have a big, you know, to develop a significant advantage. So the signs are very, very good. They are indeed, and obviously we're top of the league, as you say. Um, and there's also, Martin, great competition for places. We had the fantastic result in the week against um, Blackpool in the EFL Cup, you know, co- Come back to, to, to win that 3-2 in the last minute. Ian O'Brien scoring. Um, that's great to see, isn't it? And it's, do you think it's pushing on the, the players who are you know, in the first 11 to really you know, take, take their opportunities when they get them? I think it always keeps players on the toes, doesn't it? If there's, if there's other people waiting in the wings and ready to step in. And not only ready to step in, but you know, giving... The, the sort of performances that we saw against Blackpool from Aidan O'Brien, for example, given those sorts of performances when they do get a chance. You've got mm-hmm. a, a number of new signings like Huggins, who, who was on the bench yesterday, and people around the first team who are ready to come in. And, you know, you look at Dan Neal, as you said, it's a Dan Neal appreciation podcast today. Um, but Dan Neal wasn't the first choice central midfielder at the start of the season. And he's come in, and obviously he's filled in at left back, he's done a cracking job wherever he's played, but he is... Like to me, he is the first name on on the team sheet in midfield now, yeah. and I think it's been really interesting. Obviously, like the first game of the season against Wigan, Corey Evans started, and he was probably man the match if not um, close to it, and he was playing in that deeper midfield role, and Luke O'Nine was playing a box to box role. Now I thought Luke O'Nine yesterday after the first ten minutes, which you know the whole of the team were a little bit on the ropes after the first ten minutes. But after the first 10 minutes, I thought Luke O'Nine was absolutely phenomenal yesterday. Yeah. Some of his last-ditch tackles were were unbelievable. And yeah. he, he was playing a different role to what he was probably you know penciled in to play at the start of the season. So you've got these players who can come in and you know adapt to things. And you know, as Kieran says, it's it's very unlikely that the younger players that we do have, which is a lot of them in the squad now, will be able to maintain that consistency. And we shouldn't expect them to maintain that consistency. There's going to be ups and downs. And to have some players waiting in the wings who can come in and switch in, like Bailey Wright, Aidan O'Brien, who've got a bit more experience, that's going to serve us really well. And the fact that they're fit and in form is only a bonus, isn't it? It absolutely is. And I wanted your perspective, Kieran, as a kind of silky-skilled midfielder yourself, on some of these young players in particular. You know, you're Dan Neil and Elliot Embleton yesterday, shining for Sunderland, obviously Embleton with the assistant uh, the first assist and the goal and then and Dan Neal I think I mean it's the first time I've seen him live close up like that uh, like it did yesterday and wow was all I thought he's got talent mm-hmm. uh, talent to spare um, as a as a as a midfielder yourself do you see a, you know a little bit of um, that pedigree in, in there and, and how far do you think these two lads can go? Well certainly the signs from what I've seen this season and obviously I think that where Embleton has an advantage is that he's a couple of years senior to Dan Neal, I believe. So there might be greater expectation on Embleton. He's obviously played games a lot, lot more over recent seasons, albeit primarily away from the Stadium of Light. So I think that 
many people will be looking at him thinking this is his time to show that he can do it, he can do it on a consistent basis and that he can handle the expectation and pressure that comes with playing in front of such a, a passionate support. But the signs so far this season have been very good. I'd watched him play for Sunderland a couple of seasons ago and whilst you, your ability to play the game doesn't diminish, you have to try and make sure that if you're a ball player that when things aren't going particularly well or you're not receiving the ball as often as you would hope for, that you take the initiative and try and go and make sure that you can get on the ball because... You know, look, when, when, you know, like you made reference to my career. You know, when I was playing, and it would be applicable to many players who would be similarly attributed. You have to at times go and make sure that you're in possession because that's where the manager wants you to show your skills, and it almost becomes irrelevant whether you're on the left or the right or centrally positioned. He looks as if now he has an aura about him that says this is my stage and there might be a perception that that can come across as arrogant but the top ball players are arrogant they are cocky they know that that is their platform and he looks as if he's certainly coming into that frame of mind much more and more Dan Neil is is different in so far as he's in that engine room that's certainly where I feel his best position is he looks accomplished, he looks mature, he has a great range of passing, um, he seems courageous and being prepared to take on the, the defence splitting passes as and when it's appropriate to do so. And that decision making is integral to how he'll develop because it can be quite tempting at times to take on the so-called Hollywood pass. But if you then find out that nine times out of ten it's not reaching where you would want it to go, you become largely ineffective. Um, so again, the signs, the signs from those two in particular are very, very promising. Another player who's obviously shining at the minute, Martin, is Ross Stewart. Um, we're going to end up repeating ourselves, hopefully, the whole season. <laughs> um, there was a lot. There was a lot of talk. Um, before the season about how he might not get, you know, the kind of number of goals that uh, Charlie White got. But if you compare where Charlie White was at this point last season and where Ross Stewart is now, he's he's pretty much on course, don't you think? He is. And look, Ross Stewart had another fantastically good game, didn't he? He, um, he holds the ball up well. He links play up really well. And obviously, he got a couple of great goals yesterday. Um, I think... All like comparisons with with Charlie White are pretty unhelpful now. I think mm-hmm. we all kind of need to let go of this Charlie White um, this Charlie White thing because really, like Charlie White did a job for us last season, great, but he's moved on and we we forget about it. And the the biggest thing that we need to look at is where else the goals come from in the team. Now Ross Stewart might get thirty goals a season, as he says, he's on course too. I, I don't think he will. I think he'd probably get in the twenties, but I fully expect the whole team to score significantly more than the whole team did last season. And those you know, three forwards behind them and midfield players you know, popping up will end up with, with more goals coming collectively than we would have done last season with Charlie White in the team. So I think you know, that's by virtue of the fact that Ross Stewart's linking up play well 
Embleton's already got two goals and two assists, I think, this season. Um, and you know we're going to see goals coming from all, all areas of the pitch, and that's part of the, the style of play that Johnson's got them playing as well as anything else. Mm. I tell you, there's yeah. an interesting thing with Stewart, right? And I want to get you, you the opinion of, of um, you two on this. That penalty, right? That that was a, as clear as day was a penalty, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Is 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 he got a reputation? Because the one against Wigan might have been a bit soft. The MK Dons one, I think he went down really really easily and was was pretty soft. And I know on, on the podcast that we did after that game, Gavin Brett. Well, Adam and that was a penalty. I, I was on the other side of it. Like I, I didn't think it was, hmm. but that one was so blatant yesterday. Has has the word gone around referees that Ross Stewart goes down a little bit easily in the box, and that's why we didn't get because that, that could have been a you know different time in the game. That could have been a massive call yesterday, couldn't it? I mean, my my perspective, and I'll let you come in really quickly on this. Uh, as well, Kieran. My perspective yesterday was it was a bit of a sympathy decision by the referee, given the state of the game, and we'd been like literally all laying uh, as the <laughs> ball was passed around, passed around the the defence <laughs> in the midfield. Um, but I mean, Kieran, you you've you've been on the pitch, you've you've you know had conversations with referees. Uh, do you think it's it's um, a, a decent theory that he's getting a bit of a reputation for going down or being easily uh, felled in the box? I mean, six foot, whatever. Yeah. It is easy for him to fall. Well, well, I think it depends on what it is that makes someone fall. You know, if it's a trip, then it doesn't really matter how big someone is because if someone is tripped, particularly if they're moving quite quickly, then they're always going to be susceptible to going over. I mean, I think if you go back to the one against Wigan, you know, there's obviously a debate to be had about whether it actually was a penalty. But one of the things that was very evident for me is that when people are comparing Stewart with Charlie Wake, I don't think Charlie Wake would have won you that particular penalty against Wigan. You know, simply because I think there's a greater mobility within Ross Stewart. They might even be able to actually go by players if they're drawn in at times. And I think that was evident in that particular case. Whether there was sufficient contact for him actually, you know, to go down and win a penalty, I don't know. Because obviously we, with League One football, we don't have the benefit of ubiquitous television cameras and replays to show us in a much more definitive manner. I think what does exist is that Rather than any chatter that takes place between match officials about the shortcomings or devious nature of certain players, Ross Stewart's inclination to go down is something that's much more likely to be brought to the attention of a match official by one of the club officials at Sunderland's opposition. You know, so there might be a tendency, and I'm not saying it did happen, for Gareth Ainsworth or someone from the Wickham coaching staff, to make a referee aware. In the same way that when a corner's been taken, it's not uncommon for a player on the attacking side to go and say to the match official, just watch what this defender's doing. You know, because unbeknown to yeah. many spectators, on occasion when the referee gives a penalty because of some sort of collision that's taken place just as a corner's taken... He's been alerted to the possibility of it by one of the attacking side who maybe at previous corners have been hampered or obstructed or impeded 
from going to try and make contact. So club officials, players, when it's appropriate to do so, whether that's before a match or even at half-time or during the game from players, will try to get the attention of match officials to make sure that they're, they're potentially going to give a decision that's favourable to them. Yeah, and um, I mean, there's been a, a little video going around social media uh, this morning. I saw from behind our goal after um, Bioac and Fenwood came on for uh, for for Wigan Wanderers of of um, Luke Nine with his hands yeah, on his that. shirt and <laughs> really giving as good as he got against probably yeah. the strongest player uh, in professional football uh, anywhere in the world, possibly. <laughs> um, and you know there was a lot of shoving and, and pulling and pushing on both sides there. So you know it 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 does happen at both ends of the pitch, and that brings me on to, I guess, the defensive performance yesterday, uh, Martin. I don't know uh, what you thought from again from having your four camera uh, angles rather than my oh, just. Oh, it's only one, one camera this season, isn't it? It's only one camera angle one this back season, one is camera. it? Jeez. Oh, <laughs> Anyway, um, from from your perspective, uh, getting the whole, getting the whole pitch, um, what did you think of it? For me, for for me, it was lovely to see um, the the new Tom Flanagan, uh, the new improved, silky skilled, composed Tom Flanagan. Um, what was your view? No, he's, Flanagan's been great, hasn't he? And um, Mike Dunn did a, a piece on the site on on Saturday, I think it was, mm-hmm. looking at. Flanagan's performances and he's been outstanding. And again, if, if you'd, I think I said last week, if you'd said to me in pre season, we'd be starting the season off with Tom Flanagan and a 17 year old at centre half, you wouldn't have been too convinced that we'd be doing anything this season. But if you'd signed Flanagan this summer and he'd come in, you'd be thinking, bloody hell, we've got a player on our hands here. And he, he's been outstanding. And you know, whether the, the extra responsibility from a leadership perspective that Lee Johnson's given him has, has been. Um, influential in his performances. He's obviously the senior person in that back four, isn't he? Because Winchester, although he's mm. experienced, he's not an experienced fullback. And especially with Patterson at, at, in goal, mm. Tom Flanagan's the only experienced player. So he's, he's really stepped up and it's it's been fantastically good to see. And Callum Doyle, just to me, strolled through the game. He was brilliant. But he, he mm-hmm. wasn't too... Flashy, whether he wasn't last doing last ditch tackles because he, he didn't need to. His positioning mm-hmm. was so good, and then he's pinging sixty yard balls across the field when the crowd's all laying, and it would be easy to do a short pass to keep the the crowd um, on on side. That but, was, you know, he's winning sixty yard balls. Across. It, was, it was lovely, wasn't it? Um, I thought the only the only question mark was was Sirkin. I think Sirkin's just having a little bit of a tough time settling in. Um, but again, with a younger player making a move from London to the northeast, he's going to need time to settle in. Um, so I think that's the only area. But like Wigan targeted our right, um, well, their right hand side, our left side, a lot. But no, I, th- I think we looked really solid. And Patterson, had, Patterson didn't have much to do. Can I just add something there, Martin, to what you're saying with regards to the whole notion of allaying, which is something, of mm. course, that is customary if teams are winning a game comfortably and tends to emerge towards the end. As much as I don't think it would happen, I would strongly advocate at times allaying in the early stages of a game, even when it's nil-nil. Simply, and I know you're laughing, right? But the reason I'm saying it is because football teams often lose possession of the ball because it comes to a player or players who are anxious 
or are panicking needlessly. And the thing about Oleing, if you went over teams who are playing possession football because they're winning, once they start being the recipient of their own supporters enjoying that possession and it being manifest in Oleys, it's amazing how many passes they can do without losing the ball. Now, it would probably take a brave manager to say to the supporters, I want you to start allaying after five minutes or eight minutes or ten minutes, but I guarantee you that you will keep possession a lot longer than you actually think you possibly would. And it would probably bamboozle your opponents as well as their supporters. And that's why I love people, <laughs> players, managers, etc., being innovative in football. Football is bereft of any serious sustainable imagination and innovation. I mean, that's just, again, going back, but when, you know, when I scored from the halfway line, from kickoff for Sunderland, and, you know, a lot of people were thinking, How, why did you do that? And my attitude and my thinking was, well, sort of, why not? You know, there's no... <laughs> there's no legal laws and there's no moral laws and it's not unsporting to do what I've just done. And if you've got the confidence to do it and you can execute it, then fantastic. Now, you would run the risk at times, of course. You might do all of these allays and you might keep possession, then naturally you might lose it and the opposition might go up the field and score. But in terms of the percentages, I think it would actually work out quite favourable. Um, because you know yourself, you've been watching football long enough that when the Olays come out, you can sense the body language in the players being relaxed. Their ability comes to the fore. They're able to keep the ball for 10, 20, 30 passes. It has a completely demoralising effect on the opposition players. One or two will begin to switch off. One or two will begin to moan that their other teammates aren't doing enough to take possession back. So, Lee Johnson, if you're listening, just give it some <laughs> consideration. Well, Sunderland supporters, the, the, it's, the challenge is being laid down for the accurate, accurate uh, game well, in a couple of weeks' go, time. Yeah. <laughs> let's, get, let's get on with it. That, that'll be interesting well, if the fans start doing it and Lee Johnson's thinking, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> but it must give the players confidence because if if that, that allay is that the crowd are enjoying things and yeah. the, the crowd's confidence is in the players. Aye. The players have the confidence of the crowd. And that, that must surely have a, a knock-on effect. It is because, I mean, yesterday's a great example of when a relationship between players and supporters is very positive and very reciprocal. And mm -hmm. the young players at Sunderland in particular will be loving their footballing life at the moment. You both, myself, and plenty others who will be listening to this will know that the challenges will come when times are much more adverse, particularly at the Stadium of Light. And of course, it seems probably quite inevitable that that will happen. But um, at the moment, you enjoy it and you should always be trying to look at ways that you can sustain it. You can't just think, well, what we're doing now is going to work always because it's incumbent upon opposition to try to look at what Sunderland's strengths are and begin to try and combat them. So you have to always be consistently imaginative about how you go about trying to win games because 
I know it's something of a cliche, but you know, Sunderland have to get out of this league at some point, you know, and there's no time like the present. So, you know, hopefully, the, the club do seem to be much more imaginative, um, you, you know, certainly in terms of how they brought about um, youth, you know, both in terms of from within the club itself and from elsewhere. But um, you just always have to be, you, you know, looking for things that, even things that are unprecedented, you know, so whether it's Olay's in the fifth minute or the eighth minute or whatever, um, don't be don't be frightened to try things just because it's not a footballing norm. Absolutely, I think I th- I mean it would be fantastic to hear that after eight minutes, and so yeah, the challenge has been laid down as Martin says. <laughs> yeah. um, so um, off the pitch, really quickly, Doncaster Rovers may be shaping up to uh, take Will Grigg off our hands um, if they can find the money. That is. And if Tom White is right from last week's pot, that'll mean that maybe young Jebison will come in from Sheffield United, giving us another young attacking flair player, hopefully. Um, do you expect to see us uh, make more signings this week, Martin? I do. I think, um, I suspect there'll be a right back comes in, the lad from Arsenal that Tom told us about last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I think talks are ongoing on that one. Um, I, I think there'll be a goalkeeper comes in. Um, I think with with Patterson's selection yesterday, Lee Johnson's shown that he's open to um, trying different options in in goal. And you know, Patterson didn't do anything um, wrong at all yesterday. Um, I think it would be a big ask for him to come in and play the full season as first choice. Um, whether it's Vito Minoni or somebody else, I, I expect a goalkeeper to come in. Um, and I would I would like to see a winger come in potentially as well. And um, I, I suspect if Greg goes, which obviously we all hope he. He does. I think we just need to write that one off to, to a terrible experience. Um, I would like to see somebody who can play out wise. I think um, I think Lyndon Gooch actually had a decent game yesterday. I think I said last week that he mm-hmm. rarely ha- he's he's actually he's normally either brilliant or a six out of ten, five out of ten, or a ten out of ten. Yesterday he was a seven out of ten, and we kind of mm-hmm. need more of those games from him mm-hmm. where he's just consistent. I thought he did really well, and McGee was a little bit off the boil, although he, he was primarily um, doing defensive duties to back up Sirkin yesterday a lot of the time so um, I wouldn't mind seeing a winger come in um, so I, I do think there'll be some activity yeah, and I, I think from you know going off what Tom said last week some of it relies on getting Grigg off the wage bill Absolutely it does um, just before uh, we go obviously there's been a lot of attention um, on the issue this week of Sunderland fans booing players taking the knee whether it's the opposition or, or our players uh, if they choose to do that um, and the club came out with a pretty unambiguous statement in support of anti-racism campaigns on on Thursday. Um, yesterday, there was clearly, from my perspective, a change in the mood. Um, a lot more vigorous applause uh, from the majority at kickoff uh, than in previous weeks. I wanted to give you both a couple of minutes to um, give your perspectives too, uh, Kieran. If you want to go first, yeah. I mean, first and foremost, um, I would wholeheartedly oppose the notion or booing within stadia, or indeed any other environment. That said, I would have stopped taking the knee a long time ago. In fact, I would have stopped engaging in any form of similar type protest around it. And I'm saying that as someone that is avowedly anti-racist. In fact, in the office that I'm in at the moment, in my house, it's bedecked in portraits and tributes to people from Martin Luther King to Mandela, Gandhi, and countless others. But... The reason for it is because 
as much as I would wholeheartedly oppose the notion of booing, and I'm actually someone who would have great sympathy with the Black Lives Matter organisationally, I believe that the, it is completely disproportionate. Um, you know, we have no openly gay or bisexual players in the men's professional game who are open about their sexuality. The plight that they're enduring at the moment is completely relegated by the disproportionate coverage that is given to racism. So I'm not opposing the taking of the knee simply because, um, you know, I'm coming from a position that would be prejudiced. I simply believe that other forms of prejudice and injustice are completely relegated to the sidelines um, as a result of it. I don't have any issue with any player engaging in any form of protest. I believe that players, first and foremost, are human beings. And if they want to engage in any anti-discrimination activism, political activism, etc., they're entitled to do that as much as the factory worker, the accountant, the lawyer, the part-time employee, etc. Um, but hopefully, you know, what we've seen yesterday would, will have witnessed a sea change. To be honest, it, it's a PR gesture, you know. And it's not a PR gesture for everyone, but for a lot of the clubs, a lot of the clubs are weak and they won't take the initiative themselves to engage in things that I believe would be much more essential in bringing about a more egalitarian society. Um, I'll just I'll tell you a quick story. <clears throat> a number of years ago, I was patron of Gay Pride in Sunderland, the first ever footballer, as far as I'm aware, anywhere in the world, past or present. And I asked Sunderland Football Club to endorse Gay Pride. And Louise Wanless, God rest her, was very cooperative. And I actually asked that the club captain at the time, John O'Shea, would accompany me in leading the Pride Parade around the streets of Sunderland. And at the time, I was fully aware that my answer to that may not have received, may not be received as in the way I, I would. But the club, the club very kindly allowed me to go down to the Academy of Light one day and have our photo taken with the squad. A lot of the players came out the training ground to have their photo taken, and they endorsed Gay Pride. Many of them didn't know what they were endorsing. They stood behind the banner without actually looking at what it said. So when players take the knee or when players wear rainbow laces or when players agree to wear a poppy on a shirt or whatever the case may be, often they're not doing it because they're wholeheartedly in agreement with that particular cause. They're doing it because it's the wishes of their employer. They're doing it because they, all, they, they, they work in a... They work in an environment where they feel privileged and an occupational hazard may be that they have to do things that might go against their own principles or convictions. Um, in, e in effect, they're de-individualised from a very young age and they conform to whatever is asked of them. But anti-racism, at some point you have to pe make people either non-racist or anti-racist. And I think, it, I think the prolonged nature of taking the knee is putting, putting off people. You know, my, my wife would even question, why are they still take, why are they still doing this knee thing? That would be my, my thoughts. And it's a really interesting perspective, Kieran, uh, uh, and a nuanced perspective. And I think nuanced perspectives in this are, uh, are in short supply 
at the minute. It was really interesting to hear. Martin? Yeah, it's really interesting, I think, from Kieran there. And, you know, from my perspective, on a really, really basic level, if you're booing something that, you know, is, is it's categorically a gesture against anti-racism, then, you know, by virtue of the fact that you, you're booing, you, you're showing everybody around you and, you know, the wider footballing world that you're, you're disagreeing against the anti-racist stance. So I think it's not a, a good look for anybody. It's not helpful for the, for the club. It's not helpful for the, the, the wider population, really, of, of supporters who, who want to come along to the football. Um, and it's one of those things, isn't it? If you've got nothing good to say, don't say it. So, um, yeah, I think hopefully yesterday, the Saturday game against um, Wickham, the reaction of the crowd there is uh, the start of probably a, a balancing out of things and just um, get getting on with things. And you know, if, if people want to protest against any equality in, in football or, or indeed society, we, we let them do it. Yeah, uh, so I've had my seat on this issue this week. Thank you very much, Kieran. As ever, mate. Thanks, mate. Thank you. It's a, it's an honour. Thank you for Absolute me. pleasure. And thank you for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.